the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Hello and welcome to your new favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. I like so in that. previous week, it's yes, uh, well, of course, it's yeah. always everyone's Bold. new favourite podcast. Confident, yeah. We're, we're starting off strong this week. Heroic, even ear holes. Mm. So in uh, previous weeks, we have dealt with got uh, alcoholics flying in tin suits, uh, big green monsters in need of anger management classes, uh, but this week. Marvel head into territory that was one hell of a risk, really, as we deal with Rainbow Bridges, uh, the Frost Giants of Jotunheim, and Idris Elba in a much larger role, luckily, than his fellow, the Wire actor, Harlem Bystander number yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we kick off proceedings, please allow me to introduce my co-hosts for today. So, firstly... Every time I think of this man, I cannot help but think of Mjolnir itself. Is it because he's always by my side and always willing to back me up in a fight? No, uh, it's because I always want to bludgeon him with the heaviest item I can get my hands on. It's Robert Trot. Rob, Thank how you. are you? I thought you were going to say because I'm extremely dense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want no, to hurt I'm, you. I'm brilliant. I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Much like Justin Hammer's test pilot. My son has twisted my back <laughs> in on itself, and I am now officially a dad because I have back problems. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, at least you'll be comfy for the next hour and a bit. Uh, so, and last but not least, if Thor is the god of thunder and Loki is the god of mischief, this man would certainly be the god of beards. Yeah. It's Colin Brain. Colin, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? I'm doing very well like tonight. That. that was a good one, mate. That was good? Yep. And ear holes, it's, I'm liking it now. I'm liking ear yeah, holes. Yeah, see, pops I, I, I know, it's because obviously we're doing this over Zoom. I've noticed the last three weeks I've mentioned design for your ear holes and yeah. you've raised an eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm um, No, no, I normally start giving the head nod, like, yes, he said yeah, it. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got it, George. Keep talking you about seem, ear holes. <laughs> <laughs> you seem on board this week. Um, so, Colin, you are obviously living with your girlfriend in your new pad. Yeah. Um, so what does she think of this new venture into the MCU? And does she know just as little about it as you? Or has she seen some of these films? I think she's seen all of them. Wow. Yeah, or, or at least... Yeah, I think she's seen the majority of them. At least all like the main big ones. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know which films I'm going to watch, so I can't... <laughs> she's definitely seen all like the, all the Avengers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and she's never gone like, Colin, I've just seen this amazing film called Avengers Endgame. Mate. You know what I'm like when you guys start talking about these films. And, she, and I, I, we've nearly been together for 10 years, all right? She knows, she knows what to bother bringing up around me. And, and shit like that, I'll just end up going off on a rant for half an hour about how pointless it all is and a waste of your time to sit there and watch them. But um, yeah, she, she thinks it's a good... Like, she's actually going to listen. She, she, she's, she'll be listening to this right now. So good. thanks for listening, Stacey. You're awesome. Hi, Stacey. You are awesome. Yeah. Uh, Rob, uh, let me guess, you saw the film this week with the audio commentary on? <laughs> I Ooh. hope so. Maybe you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, here we go. 
audio commentary facts. <laughs> so the audio commentary, I have listened to it. It opens up. Yeah. <laughs> and the first little bit of information, I was going to save this by trivia because you're ready for this. Everyone calls Kenneth Branagh Ken. He says, feel free to call me that as you listen to this commentary. I didn't. So he was hoping for some sort of interaction. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how. Unless maybe you, you wrote it down, you transcribed it, and mm. then you found a way to almost have a dialogue with him. Mm. So what do they okay. all call you, Ken? <laughs> Kenneth, <laughs> on the set. And feel free to call me Ken. <laughs> well, Ken, if you're listening, thanks for, thanks for listening, essentially. So before we jump into the whole uh, background of the film i had a bit of a paranoia moment uh, in the week so because obviously myself and rob colin we told you that when you search for these films on disney plus not to go into the marvel section sure as some of the titles um of the films or the tv shows might pop up and we don't want these titles spoiled for you so we tell you what to search for so then by searching thor in your results this week it suddenly occurred to me all of the Thor movies would appear. Mm. Did you take any notice of that? Have you managed to... No, I had my blinders on. I went in the search, put in Thor, and just clicked on it before I even looked either side of the title or the picture or whatever, you know? Just went Perfect. straight in. I know it's not the end of the world, but it still made me a little paranoid, and I couldn't think of a way around it. But having your blinders on seems to have done the job. Yeah, I just go into the search rather than going into the Marvel section, you know, on Disney+. Perfect. Well, I did that as well. I typed in Thor and it does, it, it does, come up with... It, it does bring up the others, but once I've seen what I want, I just keep my eyes on that and I'm not, I'm not looking at it. We don't want some sort of Norse version of the end of the world to happen here. Mm. We want mm. to be able to just go on the film he wants and watch we, that. We, we wish, yes. That was what we want to happen. No spoilers for you. Uh, so, as always, boys, you relax. Rob, you rest your weary back as I uh, will provide uh, a background to the film to both Colin and our listeners. Um, as always, Colin, any questions, ask away. Um, I'm sure between us, me and Rob might be able to answer. Uh, or some of the info that you might be needing, um, I might answer that right now in this little recap as well. We know, Are you we, ready? We know Rob's going to jump in with a couple of audio commentaries just through this bit alone, so that's going to be enough for me, I think. Well, I've, I've already peaked with uh, the little Kenneth Branagh <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> if you thought that was going to be your trivia for the week... <laughs> yeah, you want to see what my trivia is. <laughs> I was about to say, that's pretty weak. So... <laughs> So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. It's safe to say, and I think I mentioned it at the beginning of this episode, that this was basically Marvel's biggest risk yet. So um, so bear in mind that this was released in 2011. So the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were still massive, and this was also around the same time that the Brian Singer X-Men movies were being released as well. So all these films were actually somewhat grounded and i maybe uh, you could use the word gritty as well so with marvel deciding to make thor next and this time create a film primarily set in an entirely different world and universe but also keeping in mind that an avengers movie was on the way thor needed to feel different to what we'd seen before but not so much so that should he make an appearance in the avengers he wouldn't feel too out of place now, there have been plans to make a Thor movie 
all the way back till the early 1990s, starting with Sam Raimi, who, after directing a film called Dark Man, he approached various studios trying to make a Thor movie, but no one was interested. So when it came to Marvel needing a director for this project, they first approached a man called Matthew Vaughan. Now, he was relatively new. Uh, he had two films to his name. Uh, his first one being the Daniel Craig movie Layer Cake. I don't know if you've seen that. Yep. That's good. And his second movie being a fantasy film, actually, called Stardust. Uh, so he had like this blend of comedy, fantasy, and, and grittiness as well. So all of that kind of ended up with Marvel offering him the film outright, to which in August uh, 2007, he agreed to. However, unfortunately, in May 2008, he was on the project for quite a while. He did leave the project, um, but he still ended up making a couple of superheroes, uh, superhero movies in the future. Uh, Rob, uh, can you name those films? I'm sure you can straight away. He did X-Men First Class, but not before he did Kick-Ass. Yes, he did those as well. So when Matthew Vaughan left the project... Um, Marvel then offered the project to Guillermo del Toro, um, an incredible director. And this was, again, an offer which was accepted. Uh, del Toro was a couple of months into pre-production before he was then offered to direct The Hobbit. So unfortunately, he left Thor to go make that. And poor del Toro, he actually never even got to make The Hobbit. So we <laughs> had uh, a few years without a del Toro film, which is uh, something I hope we never experience again. So... This is where Marvel started actually learning from past mistakes because they knew that there was a ticking clock and the release date, they had publicly announced it to be 2010. So time was running out to A, find a director and B, get the film ready for its release date. So Marvel actually ended up going with a guy called Kenneth Branagh or was it Ken or Ken? Ken. Ken. Ken to uh, direct the film. But he's actually been directing films since 1989. Uh, so he has experience in filmmaking, but has never been anywhere near a blockbuster, really. He mainly focused on directing a lot of Shakespeare adaptations, such as uh, Henry V, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, A Midwinter's Tale, Hamlet, the list goes on. He was also a renowned theatre actor, and he directed some plays too. So it's quite the risk when it comes to making a blockbuster like this. Uh, so, but, so, but, but, but when you take a look at the world of Asgard and the characters that inhabit it, it also kind of makes a little sense. So upon Branner, or Ken, uh, taking up the director's <laughs> chair, um, Marvel then officially delayed the film by a year and bumped the release date to 2011, therefore giving Ken and his team more time to work on the film. Now, they also did something that they have done for every single Marvel film since. So they booked in all the actors for, like, for example, a five-month shoot. But then they also made sure that everyone's diaries were free for reshoots around three months after filming. So that way, Marvel can then get the film in the editing bay, see how the film's looking, and then decide if they want to add anything else into the film, or maybe reshoot scenes that they feel weren't entirely working... So usually when you hear a film has brought all of its cast back uh, months, after finishing, months after finishing filming, you, that would usually spell trouble. Um, but it's now entirely commonplace for Marvel to do this, and they still do it today. So when the, when the cast sign their contracts, however big these contracts may be, they must be also available for all of these reshoots. 
And it was actually the signing of Kenneth Branagh that made Natalie Portman sign on to the film. Uh, she was initially hesitant when they offered it to her, but when she heard who was directing, she's quoted as saying, I just thought it sounded like a weird idea because Kenneth Branagh's directing it. So Ken. I was like, if Kenneth Branagh is doing Thor... Ken. Ken. If, Ken <laughs> if Ken is doing Thor, that's super weird. Now I've got to do it. But then began the challenge to cast the God of Thunder himself. So Marvel tend to have a fairly rigorous uh, audition process. But this time they actually contacted one actor and told him the role was his outright and he didn't need to audition. That man was James Bond himself, Daniel Craig. But he turned it down, citing that he didn't want to be attached to, to two franchises at the same time. So other actors that auditioned for the role of Thor was uh, Joel Kinnaman. Um, I know Colin knows him because when we used to live together, we used to watch The Killing. Oh, that dude. And yeah, he's awesome. Man. It's the male detective from yeah. The Killing. Don't know what um, I'd be like as Thor, but he was great in The Killing. He's very good in The Killing. Maybe not as Thor, yeah. Wasn't he Robocop in the remake? He was, was yeah. yes. Yeah. Less said about that, yeah, the yeah, better. Yeah, move on. Move on we, quick. Get back to Ken. Mm, yeah. Um, another actor to audition was uh, Charlie Hunnam, um, the lead from Sons of Anarchy. We also have Ale Alexander Skarsgård and also WWE wrestler Triple H. <laughs> yeah. Marvel. Can you imagine that? I could you. That's so strange. <laughs> um, so obviously, Marvel ended up passing on all of them. Now, Ken decided to audition some actors he'd worked with on stage, most of whom had never been in a film before. One of those actors at audition was a man named Tom Hiddleston. His audition footage for, for Thor is actually on YouTube, and I'll put it in the episode description below as well. He did okay, but he's definitely he's definitely not right for Thor. But he was so good that he was actually eventually cast as the god of mischief himself, Loki. So whilst all this was happening, a young actor named Chris Hemsworth was making his way over from his home in Australia. He'd had a role in the Australian soap Home and Away before making his way to Hollywood. He did send a tape in to the casting director of Thor, and the tape didn't even make its way to Ken. It was immediately thrown out. So just recently, just after he sent this tape in, uh, he was cast in J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Trek reboot, playing Captain George Kirk in just one scene. But anyone, including myself, uh, that saw that film walked away from the cinema asking, who was that guy? It's such a powerful and effective scene. And he was, unless you were a fan of Home and Away, essentially a complete unknown. So then Marvel then decided to contact Hemsworth to, to, to ask him to come in for a screen test. And in their words, he blew them all away. And so Thor was cast. Now, this actually feels quite good to say for once. The production was fairly smooth uh, with <laughs> Thor. There was no real issues. The reshoots definitely helped this as well, though. Uh, and to this day, if you were to ask Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, if he had any regrets about the shoot of Thor, if he would do anything differently, he would answer with this. Definitively, the one thing I would definitely do differently if we had to do it all over again 
is we would not have dyed Chris Hemsworth eyebrows blonde in the first <laughs> Thor movie. Because we were like, Thor is blonde. He has to be blonde. And Chris Hemsworth is great in the role. And he's awesome. And he pulled it off. But there's a couple of shots that I watch now. And I'm like, oh my god, that poor guy. We made him freaking dye his eyebrows. That's just ridiculous. So upon its release, Thor ended up making $445 million worldwide. 400. 400. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's less. You see why I want to bludgeon him? <laughs> oh, it's just. The dad jokes are awesome. I love it. Oh. Awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, so that amount of money is less than Iron Man 2, but it was more than The Incredible Hulk. So it was considered a success, um, with fans and critics going slightly ballistic for both Crims, Crims, Chris Hemsworth <laughs> and Tom Hiddleston as Loki. So it feels quite good not to say, oh, this problem, this problem, this person got kicked out. Now, we do have a little bit of a WhatsApp group for this podcast. And we just before we started recording, I said to Colin, out of more than any film we've done so far, guaranteed this is only the fourth, I'll beat you to it, Rob. Um, I was more intrigued than ever to know, Colin, what you thought. So, And you said you, were, you had conflicting thoughts. So, what did you think? I didn't really enjoy this one. Oh, okay. I, it's not an awful film by any stretch mm -hmm. there were characters in it that I really liked and there were parts of the film that I really liked but as a whole the film didn't really work for me personally mm, we if, shall get into yeah exactly as exactly. to why yeah yourself Rob um any initial thoughts on the rewatch um I said to you when we were talking about this after recording Iron Man 2, I said there's an element of this film that means I, I find it really difficult to watch. And it's one of those things that once it's pointed out to be, if you're not aware that the film does this... I remember you may, saying... You know, what's the word? It might ruin your experience. So I didn't tell you what that thing was. No, I, but I, I very politely asked for you not to tell me. Yeah, and we've... I figure... Colin's watched it now. You've watched it a loads of times. So I'm going to talk about it. Hmm. Go for it. So, are you aware, either of you, of what a Dutch angle is in filmmaking? A Dutch angle? Yeah, so that is no, I'm not. when the shot is tilted to varying degrees of angles. And it's basically supposed to like cause, like, if something's a character's disorientated or something is an uneasy kind of atmosphere mm. you want to build that well this shot this film has a lot of them <laughs> yeah so much so that i decided to count <laughs> how many there are oh my god whilst watching firstly firstly what what's like an average in a film like you know like if it wasn't to piss you off you know is it just oh, two or three times it how many dutch angles you'll find in a film yeah yeah well, maybe in like a, in a in a blockbuster maybe how many did you say? I don't. I, I don't know. Like in a in a normal drama, you'd get like maybe one. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, Two? okay. I just wanted to know because that, you know, like, it's kind of like used just as every an effect, now and again, really, yeah, just okay. to create a mood. 
So yeah, this film used 182. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's on my count. I might have lost count in all the confusion because mm-hmm. you get to a certain point where it's like everything looks level mm-hmm. and you have to remind yourself, no, hang on, Chris Hemsworth wow. looks like he's about to slide off the <laughs> face of the earth. Wow. Um, which leads me nicely into... There it is. Audio garbage facts. So good old Ken. He said that he wanted to use the Dutch angles because they reminded him of comic panels in which, in a comic, lots of different you know, drawings or scenes will be drawn with these sort of Dutch angles. So the intention was pure. I have it but, noted here of the, that I know that there was a, a, a severe amount mm, of Dutch angles and that I just... the I could only assume the reason it was there because it was meant to look like uh, a comic book panel, yes. Yeah. So I forgave I, it for that, yeah. I would if it wasn't 182 of them. There is a lot. It's a lot. So that, did it ruin yeah. the film for you? It does. Oh, okay. For for the most part. Like, the, like I think I'm kind of on the same wavelength as Colin. Hmm. I think there's a lot to enjoy, but overall... Yeah. I like this film quite a bit, um, but it does feel strangely dated though i mean there's some Mm. elements of the comedy and even stylistically like you mentioned the dutch angles that that were kind of reminded me of the type of superhero film we'd see in the early 2000s and so obviously i'm fully aware that the film's already 10 years old but there's moments that make it feel like 20 years old or 25 years old but for the most part for me it worked um i thought it was an interesting twist on what you can do with the origin story because obviously most origin stories are about how our superhero came to be a superhero. But this time, our protagonist already already starts off with his powers before being stripped of them. I think it's a clever little reverse, and I think it was all yeah. done in service of the character, so that all really worked for me. So, I'm very eager to know both of your thoughts uh, a little more. So we'll start thoughts. the deep... Oh. <laughs> Christ almighty. <laughs> so we shall start... The deep dive. So, in 965 AD, Odin, the king of Asgard, wages war against the frost giants of Jotunheim and their leader, Laufey, to prevent them from conquering the nine realms, starting with Earth. The Asgardian warriors, warriors defeat the frost giants in Tonsberg, Norway, and seize the, the source of their power, the casket of ancient winters. Now, this is the first moment during the recording of this podcast where I was so sad I couldn't be there in person to watch this with you, Colin. Because I'm pretty sure I'd be watching your reaction more than I'd be watching the film. Just to see <laughs> you get thrown into this world and this this mythology. Mm. So what were you thinking during this whole introduction? Because obviously it's very different from what we've seen back with Tony Stark and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So were you on board? Did you think, okay, here we go? Or did you suddenly become a little nervous? No, no, no. I, I was, I, I mean, with it being the character Thor and, and you know, knowing that it's a, a god and all that, I was half expecting it to be mm. um, in that kind of world. And, and I was more than happy to dive into that, that world. The only thing that kind of threw me off a bit, which it's not that the CGI is bad by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but... I find that with a lot of modern films anyway, it looks so sort of everyone looks so 
brushed up now. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't feel like you're watching real people anymore. And then right. that kind of takes me out of it a bit. And I feel like I'm playing a video game and I'm about to, mm. you know, jump in and start beating the shit out of people. But no, call, I, I, go on. I think they call that the, the uncanny valley. So, Rob, you'll probably explain the uncanny valley better than me. So, the, the uncanny valley, the best example that people tend to give is a film called The Polar Express. And it's like, it's why it sort of Pixar films are so great because when they there's like a fine line between something looking cartoony and something looking realistic where your brain is seeing something that it's half telling you that's meant to look real, but there's something about it that's awful. It's normally the eyes or the mouth, like mm. getting a lip sync and things like that. Um, so you sort of fall into this weird sort of what they call the valley of, like uncanniness really where you're looking at it and you just can't something about it just makes you feel uncomfortable and almost ugh. subconsciously your brain is going that that's not real yeah 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 so the trick is to try and either go you know cartoony enough that you can yeah 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 that people relax into it and go okay well that's not supposed to be real but i realize that's supposed to be a human yeah. or you know your shit and do it so realistically that you, mm. you go with it so uh rob how long has it been since you last saw this film been a while yeah quite a while i thought i've got an in you thought last week's story of me seeing this film for the first time was interesting so this one i had a day off work i took myself to the o2 formerly the millennium dome yes and i went to see this during the day by myself bliss and i was late to go see it so i missed the whole prologue bit with <laughs> Natalie Portman and um, Selvig and Darcy in the desert. And right, I yeah. came in just as they were doing the whole Odin voiceover. And I don't feel I missed anything. I don't feel I missed anything story-wise. No, I guess that bit it's is weird. not really needed. The whole beginning bit where they crash into him. Yeah. So it's an odd thing. I, they do explain it on the commentary, but I didn't consider it interesting enough to note down. <laughs> it's something about old Ken's approach to audio commentary. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a while. I, me and my wife did do a a rewatch of everything, but mm. even that was probably a couple of years ago now, two years maybe. Mm. Okay. So let's continue. So in the present, Odin's son, Thor, he prepares to ascend to the throne of Asgard, but he's interrupted when frost giants attempt to retrieve the casket. Now against Odin's order, Thor travels to Jotunheim to confront Laufey, accompanied by his brother Loki, childhood friend Sif, and the warriors free Volstagg, Fandral, and Hogan. A battle ensues until Odin intervenes to save the Asgardians, destroying the fragile truce between the two races. For Thor's arrogance, Odin then strips his son of his godly power and exiles him to Earth as a mortal, accompanied by his hammer Mjolnir, now protected by an enchantment that allows only the worthy to wield it. Now, I quite like the introduction of Thor here, um, especially during his what I'm assuming is his coronation, because to me, this is his his Stark Expo, uh, so to speak. Yeah. He's he's like the man of the hour. He's bleeding charisma and exuberance. Throwing the all, hammer and winking at the people. Throwing the hammer is great, yeah. and But also, uh, he 
there's ego there. Yeah. Now, whereas Tony uh, needed to have all of his money and his his yes men or his entourage of of, of hundred his his whole company essentially taking away from him in order to realise who he's meant to be. Thor needed to have his powers uh, stripped in order to learn, I guess, humility. Because this is someone that travels, essentially, to a foreign land and starts a war whilst not thinking about the consequences. And I, for one, cannot imagine anyone else in the role of Thor than Chris Hemsworth. Uh, I think he's such a find, and right from the get-go, right from the bat, he just seems to get the character. Colin, how did you find him as, as Thor? I think he fits the role from an appearance point of view. Oh, okay, but... Well, it's not really a but. It's What a but, though? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this has got anything to do with Ken's input, hearing that he has a more theatrical background, but I did feel like, especially in the first or some of the scenes with Thor, it felt like he was over-delivering a little bit and mm. obviously putting on an accent as well. And I, did you say he's Australian, right? He's so Australian, so it's very... There um, was just it, it was more at the beginning. I think I obviously just settled into it and got used to it, but mm. I didn't really find that with any of the other guys. Like Idris Elba, for instance, I know he doesn't say a whole lot in the film, but like mm-hmm. the way he delivered the lines, it was like it didn't come across like it was him putting on an accent, whereas mm-hmm. I felt like there were times with Hemsworth that it was just a bit like... Eh, a bit theatrical, a bit kind of overdoing it a bit. Um, mm. But I thought, yeah, he looked the part and, and the interactions he had with Loki throughout the film I thought were really interesting and his dad. And yeah. um, we'll get into the, the terrible love story part in a little while, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, but, wow. um, um, uh, what about you, Rob? <laughs> um, thoughts on Mr. Hemsworth? I really like him. I mm. think the um, when they go to Jotunheim, that whole stuff, like... That first fight scene, you even see his cockiness there. It's like everyone else is like, we've got to run, yeah. we've got to go. And he's like, no, I'm going to stay behind. And just pretty much to showboat. I enjoyed him flying through the mouth of that big creature. Yeah, um, and that was cool. Audio commentary facts. I particularly liked how Ken described that first fight as a dirty scrum. Yeah, it's not overly mm. um it's not a beautiful fight for sure yeah you see he wanted it to be very close very sort of like not sort of like loads of wide angles he wanted mm. it to be like wherever you turn there was another frost giant or that kind of thing mm. but um, yeah. yeah i just like the, the phrase dirty scrum i thought it'd make a good band name <laughs> if ever we decide we want to have a band together there we go so also this sequence came with its own challenges too because obviously it's introducing asgard to the audience so, Colin, like, was it too over the top with its design, Asgard itself? Too restrained, maybe? Did you want it to go more? Or did it feel just, just right? I thought it felt, it felt good at the beginning when, when um, Thor was having his, you know, the... The coronation, whatever, so Yeah, speak. the coronation sort of thing. Um, I thought it was good because there was a load of people there, right, for the mm. coronation. And the one thing that kind of threw me off is that for the rest of the film, you never saw anyone apart from him the four dudes that were running around after him, Mm. Loki, Odin and the wife. It was like, after that, it just felt really empty. It's like you you never saw anyone even in the background doing anything. That's a really good point that never occurred to me. So I guess it then essentially makes Asgard almost feel less lived in and less like a place... it only it just mm. feels like there's ten ten people living in this part, and who really cares anymore? You know, well at least that's what I thought. No, it's a good point. What about no. you, Rob? 
I feel the same. I feel it's very shiny, very mm. sort of. Well, when they're doing, I mean, it's impressive visuals showing the yeah, clouds, yeah, yeah. and then you know, it reverses round, and it's kind of like this sort of city in the sort of almost in like a heaven kind of yeah. imagery, which obviously it was in Norse mythology, and it, it, but it does very much look like a CG establishing shot with these kind of like almost like organ, like as in piano organ kind I've of got, spires. I've got that noted. Mm, yeah. yeah, the the yeah. main centerpiece of the like city the looks like this giant gold organ. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great design, but I just think it looks too. It, yeah, I guess the like the the render of the effect mm-hmm. looks too shiny and computer generated to me. It doesn't feel real. Yeah, um, if they'd use like a miniature for part of that, even like, a bit like how Lord of the Rings would do stuff. Yeah, I think maybe that would have made me feel like it existed more. Add more texture to it for sure. Um, yeah, I somewhat agree, and I can't believe I never picked up on that about the. Um... The, the people as well that yeah there's yeah. tons at the beginning and then suddenly there's no one um so but i think it's worth mentioning that the room that um idris elba's uh character's heimdall that the i can't remember what it's called but the sort of room he looks after it's where they transport to and from different planets the bifrost that is beautiful i think it's use of gold and the entire wall is almost like it has it's like a very much circular design yeah. uh, i think that looked absolutely incredible you, you talked about it a bit but that scene with um odin stripping him of his powers mm. like I, I i've heard that was improvised as well the whole um bit where he says i just i love anthony hopkins anyway because i think he's got that brilliant ability to be quite ham <laughs> and I, lo- I do love a bit of theatrical ham sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit where he says, you are a vain, green, cruel boy. <laughs> and then, like, Chris Hemsworth's like, you're an old man and a fool. Really, really cool. Like, it's Shakespeare's shouting at each other. I love that sequence so much. Yeah. There's a great bit where Loki's, like, father. And, it goes to inter- and he just and roars he just, at him. He just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy Hopkins. Have you ever been on his Twitter? He's He's nuts. He's yeah. I just imagined him like that. <laughs> He's off his rocker. <laughs> fun fact: This is an audio commentary fact. Just a fun fact I'm throwing mm. in. Stan Lee, big Marvel, big wig. Mm-hmm. He said that he originally wanted to play Odin if there was a film. Can you imagine? <laughs> You're an <laughs> You're a vain, greedy, been... cruel boy. Awful. <laughs> Um, so to continue, uh, Thor lands in New Mexico where astrophysicist Dr. Jane Foster, her assistant Darcy Lewis and mentor Dr. Eric Selvig find him. The local populace finds Mjolnir, which S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson soon commandeers before forcibly acquiring Foster's data about the wormhole that delivered Thor to Earth. Now, Thor, having discovered Mjolnir's nearby location, seeks to retrieve it from the facility that S.H.I.E.L.D. has constructed. But he finds himself unable to lift it and is captured. With Selvig's help, he is freed and resigns himself to exile on Earth, as he then develops a romance with Foster. So, Colin, do you maybe want to start giving a a thoughts or a couple of thoughts on this uh, what was it, a terrible love story you called it? Yeah, that might have been a bit too harsh, to be honest. <laughs> but um, uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I Honestly, I kind of wish they just kept the film in Asgard, if I'm totally honest with right. you. Right, okay. Um, I've, I, I think one of the... 
it got a bit too slapstick comedy for me every time it went to America. And I, I honestly, at any second, I was expecting canned laughter to come on. Like after <laughs> some of that, you know, just, I don't know, man. I kind of just lost interest a bit when, and and the love story just felt so forced and there was no build there whatsoever. Forced. forced. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know this, right? Because like we said earlier, I've been in a relationship for nearly a decade. Mm-hmm. You guys can't answer this because you're both in happy relationships and you're uh-huh. whatever. But if you're middle-aged and single and you meet another middle-aged single person, is it just normal to instantly just give each other fuck eyes and just like <laughs> straight away, like no build whatsoever, just straight away every time you're around each other, you're just essentially looking into each other's eyes saying i want to rip your clothes off because that's what it felt like it was like the minute they laid eyes on each <laughs> yeah. other mm. it was just too over the top man it's like I, but, but I again but is that real life because i don't know because i've been in a relationship for 10 years so maybe we need to ask someone who's <laughs> middle-aged yeah. and single and say <laughs> like touch. when you meet other middle-aged single people do you just instantly think about you know it was weird like i um <clears throat> it was good that she wasn't one note and just sort of like nerdy astrophysicist all the way through Mm. but it was like you know that bit in extras when ian mckellen's like going say ian say ian say ian you shall not pass it was like (laughs) jane foster jane foster jane foster oh my god he's got his top off yeah i'm giggly i can't do anything and she just turned into like a dribbling moron Mm. for a good minute of screen time and then she'd be like it's an eisenstein rosenbridge so yeah they they sort of like i don't know if it handled those like the yeah, transitions kind of... between progressing the story and also trying to develop a love story. It just, it just didn't feel like there was any development. It felt like it was just instantaneous. And I, I know, like, I gather that Jane is from the comics. Is yeah. is Jane a character? Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess to most people who's watched Thor, as soon as they see and hear that Jane is there, they're like, oh, okay, that's the person that Thor and, you know. Whereas for me, it was like, I didn't know that. So it just... So they're working on the assumption that, oh, the audience already know they're meant to fall in love. Maybe, I don't know. But it just felt a little little forced and and there was no build there. And I just think maybe that's what made it feel a bit dated. Because I I can imagine these days that if... I mean, again, I haven't watched many films over the last few years, so I don't really know. But I just feel like with the progression of society and the way things are going, I can imagine that love stories with female characters and that are probably approached slightly differently now. It just felt a little old to me, a little old school. I I I know know completely what you mean, Yeah, Yeah. yeah. So... I actually quite like Natalie Portman's performance in this. I actually oh, yeah, like her performance a lot. But she doesn't get loads to do. But I think she gets more to do than Pepper Potts and definitely more than Betty Ross. Um, oh, yeah. I think she has somewhat of a, a good chemistry with Chris Hemsworth. And I particularly love uh, the scene in the car as they're driving to the site of the hammer. You know, I think he, his dialogue to her is like, you think me strange? Um, good strange or bad strange? And it's how she says... I'm not quite sure yet. She's almost laughing as she's saying it. She's um so like the character's full of excitement, but there's also self-doubt in there. Um and yeah. it's a character that has no idea what situation she's getting herself into, but she's enjoying the ride. So she does sort of elevate little moments like that. But I also agree with you in terms of maybe the comedy as well because um mm. i think it's in this scene that we get some of those comedy beats i briefly mentioned in the beginning that do feel a little dated for me mm. so there's the scene i think the main bit for me was the scene when they try and sedate thor um <laughs> and it's 
it's only I mean it's, it's an okay scene but it's only until the end of the scene where he sort of face plants at the glass on the door mid sentence and as his face slides down it they put in this really like over the top like, like sliding <laughs> yeah, noise yeah. and yeah. I think you you were correct there a canned laughter would have been yeah miles like the um, oh she hits him with her car she hits him again <laughs> yeah that whole thing and also like I wasn't quite sure of what what was going on in the time frame while they were there because I couldn't tell if they if Thor had been there for like just the one day and they kept bumping in, into each other like an hour or so later but because mm. it was bouncing around between other things and obviously I mean that you're going between different realms anyway so I'm sure time mm. runs differently but yeah the main thing was is that when it was more in Asgard, it felt a bit more like a ser- It was a bit more serious. The time was more serious, and things that were going on were a bit almost more Shakespearean like- and heightened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd go down, and it was like you had jumped into a sitcom for like a little while. And I, I, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but the- if they were cool, but it just didn't really work for me. I it think it's. It I, I think it was what they were going for. That sort of yeah. juxtaposition, because yeah, 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 yeah. I will admit the running gag over them running him over did work for me the second time they hit him um as they back as they say right we've now got a tr- how the hell are we going to find him and she reverses into him it worked for me i'm sorry but i personally i <laughs> love and i mean this i love the fish out of water gags they are for me what works best on the uh, scenes from earth so you've got him in the coffee shop you know or the cafe sort of downing his coffee co- coffee and um asking for another on one floor. by smashing it yeah. on the floor pitch perfect for me Another. Um, no, that that was cool i, I did like that one I, like i love when um he enters the pet shop proclaiming i need a horse yeah. um yeah, that's yeah. genius and hemsworth is again incredible and the cap to that scene is he even great where um, we only sell cats and dogs well then give me one big enough to ride brilliant yeah. no I, I agree i i like those crocodile dundee style moments mm. <laughs> in which he's sort of out of but it, yeah, I agree. It's sort of the weird. I don't even think all of the comedy from the sort of science gang is bad. I think Darcy has some nice moments, like when she tases him and she's like, "What? He's creeping me out." Mm-hmm. And I think things like that work. Her pronunciation of uh, Mjolnir as meow meow yeah. always meow, meow. gets a giggle out of me. Yeah, so I don't think it's all awful, but there's just so much being thrown at the wall. And like Colin said, when you're in Asgard, it is like 100% leaning into it with sincerity. There's no kind of tongue-in-cheek moments. It is just sort of, this is, you know, you've got lines like, um, do not mistake my appetite for apathy, Mm. which I want on my gravestone personally. (laughs) It's just, yeah, those kind of lines. And then you go to New Mexico and it is very... It, it can feel a bit sort of like unbalanced. I think mm. I, I can see I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, for sure. But this whole sequence as well, um, it, intru- it, it has the introduction of Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, um, known to the comic book fans as Hawkeye. So Hawkeye, he's the guy, Colin. Um, he's got the bow and arrow above. Um, oh yeah, Thor yeah, yeah, as he's yeah. trying to get the hammer. So Hawkeye in the comic books, he's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and sometimes member of the Avengers. He was completely uncredited in this film and fans were not expecting uh, Jeremy Renner or Hawkeye to make an appearance. So what surprised people even more was that 
Jeremy Renner was actually quite in demand at this time because he had just appeared as the lead in 2008's The Hurt Locker. That film actually won Best Picture at the Oscars. Actually, I think it won six Oscars overall. And Jeremy Renner himself was nominated for Best Actor. So to see him, A, pop up in Thor, and B, in actually a very, very, very brief role, was quite surprising. Yeah, he definitely wins the next time, baby, award. Yes, there it is. (laughs) I've even got, I promise you, I've got it noted right here. Rob, please say next time baby so that has made my night Um, so to continue uh, Loki discovers that he is Laufey's biological son he was adopted by Odin after the war ended Loki confronts Odin who then wearily falls into the deep Odin sleep to recover his strength Loki takes the throne in Odin's stead and offers Laufey the chance to kill Odin and retrieve the casket Sif and the Warriors Three, unhappy with Loki's rule, attempt to return Thor from exile, convincing Heimdall, gatekeeper of the Bifrost, and the means of travelling between worlds, to allow them passage to Earth. Aware of their plan, Loki sends the Destroyer, a seemingly indestructible automaton, to pursue and kill Thor. So... We've made it this far, and we haven't discussed Mr. Tom Hiddleston as Loki himself. Uh, what did we think as Loki? I think he's great, mm. personally. Colin. Yeah, he was my favourite part of the film. I mean, I know I've been trashing the film quite badly up until this point, but I think it's probably because I just wanted to, I just wanted to see a film on Loki. Mm. Like, I, I, don't, mm. I don't care about... Well, I say I don't care. It's like... Every time he was in a scene, I was interested again. I thought he was great. That scene um, where he comes down to Earth and he chats to Thor and he's like, you know, tells him that Odin's dead. Mm. Oh, he's good. Tom yeah, Hiddleston really good. is great. I love him in this. And I'm mm. in full agreement. He might be my favourite thing in the film. They're definitely mine. Because he's such a conflicted character as well. So there was times, especially in like the latter half of the film, I found myself questioning, like, what's Loki's motive here? Like, what's motivating the character? And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Now, usually I consider, if I ask that question, I'd consider it bad filmmaking. But I think there are parts where it's almost done on purpose. Because on one side of the coin, it would appear that Loki simply just wants to be loved by his family um, and make them proud. But then the realisation that, you know, he's been lied to his whole life obviously conflicts him and it brings out this villainous side to him. And there's this moment towards the end, I think, which we'll get to properly next, where himself and Thor have their climactic fight. And he, he's giving the typical villain speech at the end. But whilst he's doing it, he's got tears pouring down his face as he's doing it. He yeah. so desperately wants to kill Thor and be the ruler mm. of Asgard. But at the same time, he loves Thor deeply as a brother. And uh, that is uh, one hell of a villain and one hell of a performance. Yeah, he's um, just brilliant. Mm-hmm. There's there's so many nice little moments with him. Like, I think just following that moment where he talks to uh, Thor and he tries to lift the hammer himself and yes. realises, I'm I'm not worthy either. That's really nice because nothing's said. And while we're talking about things, you know, people not being worthy, Excelsior! Stan Lee's bumper isn't worthy either. Mm. And Stanley's cameo of this episode, episode, oh, this film, this, I suppose, yeah. 
kind of is an episode. Um, <laughs> he is the driver of a truck that's trying to dislodge Moldenir. Colin, yeah. are, are you recognising Stan yet? Yeah, yeah, I just look for Hugh Hefner. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I keep forgetting. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I did pick up on him this time. I, I think I, I finally know what he looks like. Okay, good. I love Odin's, um, huh? Odin's baller move, which I'm going to remember for when my son's an angry teenager, that Loki's just yelling at him, but he just sort of falls asleep. Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? It's true. Imagine it's when you did that to your parents. And, um, They're just it's... full on yelling at you. Just, no. <laughs> I don't have it noted here, but I did read it earlier on that um, Odin sleep is never is, is not in Norse mythology at all. It's something that Stan Lee actually created for the comics, which is quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so I like that. the warriors uh, find Thor, but the destroyer attacks and defeats him, prompting Thor to offer himself instead. Struck by the destroyer and near death, Thor proves himself worthy by his sacrifice to wield Mjolnir. The hammer returns to him, restoring his powers and enabling him to defeat the destroyer. Kissing Jane Foster goodbye and vowing to return, he leaves with his fellow Asgardians to then confront Loki. Now, how did we find this action scene? Now, I hope I'm not stealing any trivia here, uh, Rob, but it's worth mentioning (laughs) that um, a couple of months before this scene was shot, the entire town didn't actually exist. They literally built a town out in the desert only to destroy it during this action scene. Hmm. And then once filming was over, tore it all down again and it became desert again. I think that's uh, the, the, the magic of filmmaking right there. I don't know if that works. Oh, that's another reason, like, similar to what Colin said about Asgard, I feel about the New Mexico town. Mm. It's, I mean, I don't know much about New Mexico, so maybe these sort of towns are commonplace, so they're just surrounded by seas of desert. But it just doesn't feel lived in either. Yeah, um, I think, yeah no, I agree. So, yeah, it just feel like they were fighting the destroyer in a set for me. And that was why it felt like I wasn't sure of the time frame, because... Like how easily they just keep bumping into one another, and also like how quickly the shield just managed to prop up this gigantic setup around a hammer. Like again, I couldn't tell if it had been days or hours. It was like I don't know why this stuff's. You know, what I mean? no, it's, it's another good point, mate. Because yeah, uh, I in my head it was all set over two days, yeah, which then, then considering for arriving and that night having all of that yeah, constructed yeah, it just does require well, a stretch of logic. There's something interesting which I think we could talk about without it doesn't really run into, I can talk about it without mentioning things that are coming up <laughs> but these first lot of films are referred to as taking place within a week and it's known as Fury's Big Week so okay, including Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 Yes. Set in the same week. Oh, because, yeah, he's watching it on the news, isn't he? Ivan Vanko, of him. Yes. I guess it is all set in the same week, yeah. Which is pretty mad. I like, there was a lot of moments in this film, and especially sort of the Destroyer coming down, there's a moment where Coulson's like, is that one, or someone's like, is that one of Stark's? Oh, that was cool. I don't know, he doesn't tell me anything. Mm. And there's a moment earlier on, obviously we mentioned Hawkeye as another little Easter egg. Mm. There's a moment earlier where Selvig is talking about I don't trust Shield. Um, they once, a, you know, a gamma scientist that I knew yeah. had a run in with them, and it's all them trying to like tie what's happened so far all together, mm. so that 
even if you're not really 100% feeling thought, you're like, oh, this is Hulk somewhere in this world. It's funny because I'm starting to pick up on all those little things now, which if mm. I had obviously watched it on its own... So, yeah, if you had run... If this was randomly on TV, let's say, a month ago... That would have meant nothing to me. suddenly Agent yeah. Coulson sees his suit and says, is that one of Stark's? You would have been yeah. <laughs> straight over your head. Yeah, yeah. But mm. they are connecting... They're slowly starting to connect the dots now, yeah. Mm. So looking back, I don't think I was ever really a massive fan of the Destroyer fight scene sequence. I think I found it all a bit too simplistic. Like you said, it all pretty much takes place on one street. And um, there's not loads in terms of like interesting or creative action beats. But this mm. time I actually liked it a little more than I used to. Um, I think it's because it's an action scene that's rooted in character. I don't think the scene is meant to be flashy or full of stunts mm-hmm. or anything like that. I think its intention is purely for Thor to get his ass kicked, really. Because uh, it's the moment that by taking the Destroyer on, knowing it's likely going to kill him, is where he finally becomes worthy of Mjolnir and the power of Thor. And um, I know Colin's going to shake his head, but yeah, I got goosebumps the, the moment he raises his hand, you know, out of the dust to catch Mjolnir as it's, you know, flying towards him and the music's swelling. It worked for me. I'm such a fanboy, I know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hate I, that bit, dude. I'm not, no, I didn't hate that oh, bit. Oh, I mean, good. I didn't, get, I, didn't, I didn't get goosebumps. But, um, <laughs> They'll come but later. The, there was one there was one bit of that fight with the destroyer that I found quite creative and it was when he had been like impaled on that thing and then he starts yeah. doing all this twisting and moving around. Like that bit I thought really was really cool. nice design yeah, yeah, really of, cool. the, of yeah. the, the the creature yell, the robot, yeah. yeah. How did you guys feel about the Warriors Three being described as Xena, Jackie Chan and Robin Hood? Oh, oh the Jackie that, Chan that. moment really Oh dude, that's not aged, is it? No. no. <laughs> yeah, the Jackie Chan one hit me hard. Yeah, I almost no. fell out of the seat. I thought yeah, oh, yeah, I couldn't yeah. believe that was allowed yeah. in. Yeah. Mm, well, see, so the other ones are Xena and Robin Hood. Robin Hood. I'll allow it. Uh. Jackie Chan. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. um I agree with you, George, what you're saying about the Destroyer. It is more it's just power, the idea of, right, well, these people, these warriors can sort of throw everything they got at it, and what it comes down to is Thor having to make the sacrifice play. You know, there's nothing else that can be done. Yeah. He has to put his life on the line. And it's that lesson of, like we talked about earlier, humility, and, you know, that becoming that hero and making that decision that a king might make, you know, like I'll die to protect all these people. Yeah. If that's what it takes. The idea behind the scene works. I just wish there was more in the sort of going on. Mm. Yeah. Even if it's people. More, you know, more watching this myth saving happen. the citizens would have been nice. Or even just people witnessing it. You know, people, no one on, on earth has seen this God before, or at least since like Viking times. So the idea of seeing, you know, this beefcake of a dude turn into a, a god before their eyes with, you know, lightning and thunder mm. and hurricanes and things, like, that would... I just feel like there should have been more townsfolk reacting to stuff. I think there's one shot of a woman running with her kid yeah. that I can remember, and other than that... It's a good yeah, point. Even just S.H.I.E.L.D. agents going, what are we dealing with here? I think Coulson turns up at the end and he's like... We're going to need to debrief you or something. Yeah. Then it's, he has hmm. one reaction shot, essentially, and it's not a Thor. It's of the Destroyer almost um, building up the flames in his system, and he just says, here we go. That's that's basically, yeah, yeah he's only really... Son of Cole. Son of Agent, yeah, Son of Cole. I love that moment. <laughs> so, 
In Asgard, uh, Loki betrays and kills Laufey, revealing his true plan was to use Laufey's attempt on Odin's life as an excuse to destroy Jotunheim with the Bifrost Bridge, thus proving himself worthy to his adopted father. Thor arrives and fights Loki before destroying the Bifrost Bridge to stop Loki's plan. Stranding himself in Asgard, though, Odin then awakens and prevents the brothers from falling into the abyss created in the wake of the bridge's destruction. But Loki seems to commit suicide by allowing himself to fall when Odin rejects his pleas for approval. Thor make amends with Odin, uh, admitting that he's not ready to be king. Meanwhile, on Earth, Jane Foster and her team search for a way to open a portal to Asgard. So then as for this final fight scene where I think we can finally be a bit more flashy, because Thor now has regained his powers. Um, do you prefer it to the fight with the Destroyer? Is it is it is it a better fight scene? I like that you get to see Thor do his thing again, mm. but with a different mindset. When he just puts the hammer on Loki yeah. and just walks... <laughs> Uses it as a paperweight on Loki, there. essentially, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a great little moment. And like you said, like... It's more about character, I think. When he's smacking that bridge, uh, like and breaking it, you know what that means it's to him. It's a sacrifice play it's, again. Yeah, mm. it does work for me. I think, Colin, for you, the, the climax of the film. Yeah, I thought it worked, and I, we didn't really touch on it the, right at the beginning of the film. Not right at the beginning, but when when Thor goes to whatever it's called, Jotunheim. Yeah, there you go. You really see like the power of the hammer from at the beginning there, which I don't. We haven't really discussed. Yeah, Mjolnir itself. Because yeah, you, it's you, badass. Yeah. You really see how crazy it is, which um, I really liked about that scene anyway. But that's from before I forgot to mention that. Mm. But yeah, I liked. I liked the. It just reminded me of Mario Kart a bit, though Rainbow Road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had that vibe going on a bit, but it's the, no, I, I thought the most it was good. bastard level. I, I, Loki's definitely not done though. We know that for sure, right? Mm. He's, mm. How many Thors are there? You're not even going to tell me. We're not going to tell you. No, okay. Thor. Because he didn't... Because <laughs> you saw him kind of fall into... He kind of got sucked into something. It some, wasn't it like, like Some just, sort of portal or black hole. Yeah, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it so funny. The effect of when he just sort mm. of like falls like a Sabutio <laughs> man. <into> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a dodgy effect that really sort of hampers the moment. I think you guys kind of nailed it, whereas um, I didn't really see the emotional side of the Destroyer fight scene. To me, it was just like, it was more just this giant, you know, wrecking machine mm-hmm. coming down, destroying a load of stuff, and, and Thor gets his hammer back and destroys him. Whereas with the next one, that one did feel a lot more like there was a bit more emotion behind it. Yeah. It was obviously him him versus what he thought to this point was his brother and all that sort of stuff. And, and with Odin popping up, yeah, it was a nice scene, man. I actually quite enjoyed that bit of it. Cool. But again, I li- I liked most of the stuff that happened in Asgard. It, that I didn't really have that many issues yeah. with that side of it. And I like that you're on the, the working theory of I didn't see the body, so they are not dead. Oh, of course not, man. Come on, that's just film 101, especially when there's friggin' like 30-odd films. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to kill him off that quick, are they? A couple of times in this episode, I think I've compared Thor to Tony Stark, and I think it's this ending that shows they actually are a little different from each other, because although they've both been taught lessons in humility and responsibility, the first Iron Man obviously ends with Tony Stark still with that 
stark ego and announcing to the world that he's Iron Man. Whereas this ends with Thor basically basically admitting that maybe he's not ready for the throne of Asgard. Um, next time, baby. So, um, <laughs> obviously that was quite a, a deep dive. So maybe you want to sum up what you thought of the film in I don't know, one or two sentences. Uh, start with Rob. I think um, when, I, when I first saw it, that ending really threw me. So I was like, what? That's it? That's a weird ending. But I think the ending is probably one of the things I like the most about it because it's so melancholic. Just like, yeah, she searches for you as the last line. Mm. And like, he, he's just stuck there. I just thought, that's great. Mm. Like you said, it's different to, you know, Tony not being able to face anyone else taking credit for Iron Man. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think overall, I like it. I think it's fine. But there's just a few bits that just feel a bit... I don't want to say TV, as if that's a slight. But it kind of feels like a sort of... The New Mexico stuff does feel cheap to yeah. me. And obviously this this was before be Thor. <laughs> they took a... They knew what Thor could do. Mm. So I kind of have to forgive it for that. But it, I don't find it as enjoyable to watch. Okay. As some of the others, because it does feel a bit disjointed. Mm, sure. Yeah. Okay, Colin. Yeah, I mean, again, I've I've probably been a bit too harsh throughout this whole episode on the film because I didn't, I didn't really, really dislike it or I I had fun watching yeah. it. But to me, it was one of those films that if you just switch your brain off and just take it in for what it is on face value, then it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. It felt very. It felt like a big Hollywood blockbuster to me. One of those ones that, you know, a popcorn flick that's for the whole family. Kids can watch it. Parents can watch it. Yeah. You just sit there and just indulge. Um, and personally, for me, that's just not really the type of film that I like watching. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I know I'm in the, I'm definitely in the minority of that. And, you know, who the fuck am I to say anything when they're making millions of shit <laughs> like this? But personally... I think it's you and uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I've got someone <laughs> in my corner. Um, but, yeah, so personally... Um, I, if I was to sum it up, I found it a little frustrating just because I didn't really care about Thor. I cared more about Loki. Mm, interesting. So it was just one of those, it's a bit like the Dark Knight, you know, you just want the Joker to be on the screen every five minutes. You don't want to hear Christian Bale fucking farting through his mouth every time he speaks. <laughs> it was just like, it was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, so let's get on to ratings then. Um, so Rob, um, out of five... I think I would give it the same as Iron Man 2. Which was? Which was 2. Oh, 2 out of 5. Wow. Think, was it 2 out of 5 or 2.5? 2.5 we gave oh, it. Okay. Because we did the same rating. Okay. Wow, I thought you liked it, Rob. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did, but I liked Iron Man. But these, my ratings are coming in. See, you screwed well, yourself yeah. on Wig 1. No, I didn't. You went too low no, on Iron Man. Man. No, because if you, if no, you he go... No, gave, he gave Iron Man 1 free. You gave Iron Man 2 2.5. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, giving yeah, this yeah. two and a half. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Because I feel it's not as good as Iron Man, but it's not as bad as Incredible yeah. Hulk. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I've well, got a fi- you can't like, high fidelity, right? That whole thing about making the perfect playlist. Mm. You don't want to blow your load too soon and give like every Tom, Dick, and Harry film four stars because they're not all four star films. Well, if, if it starts on a it four met, star met, film, you give it four stars. 
<laughs> or you give it three stars and then change it to four stars. I did do that, yeah. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, this is fun. Colin, out of five? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, again, this sounds kind of harsh, but I'm going to give it a two and a half as well. But, I mean... I did give Iron Man one a three. I gave The Incredible Hulk a one and a half, and then I gave Iron Man two a three and a half. So I think two and a half's fair, although that might seem a little. I, I was, I did feel like giving it a three, but I, I enjoyed Iron Man one so much more. Mm. So it's going to have to be a two and a half okay. for me. It's three and a half for me. Um, yeah, I gave Iron Man um, four. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's to me it's the second best so far. I think. Um, but we are only four films in, so we shall see. So it's my favourite. I, I almost did it, but so it's my favourite part of the week. It's trivia, trivia time. You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Yeah, baby. So trivia time, baby. So who um, who went far- first? I always week? forget. Whosoever wields this trivia, be they worthy, shall possess the respect of Colin Brain. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. And then I've got to do my first trivia, well, my, my trivia, which I, I think I've discovered the most interesting quote from a character in, in, like, in regards to a film. So... You remember the the character Fandral, don't you? The the Robin Hoodie one that was mentioned in the the lineup. Yeah, Jackie Chan's buddy. <laughs> Zena's pal. So Fandral actor Josh Dallas said this of his point end po- poking sword boy. He said, and I quote, Fandral would like to think of himself as the R. Kelly of Asgard. Uh-oh. He's what? a lover, not a fighter. You know what I'm saying? I've seen Trapped in the Closet and Keep It on the Down Low, all that kind of stuff. Fandrow is a fun-loving guy. He's a ladies' man. It's always debatable how successful he is at that. He thinks he's pretty successful. He thinks that all the ladies love him, and if they don't, then they will soon come to come around to the idea of loving him. Wow. That's all very R. Kelly to me, isn't it? Well, <laughs> talking of other things that haven't aged very well, <laughs> yeah. that is not So that is my bit of trivia, that that quote exists around a character of which wow. has no depth, no. and none of that he was just clear. has a pointy yeah. sword. To be honest, that yeah, I you could have put a gun to my head and said, what was that character's name? And I would have said, just pull the trigger, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, said, I don't know, but he gives off an R. Kelly yeah, vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear. oh, shit, that's good trivia, man. I don't know why you were so worried about that one. That was good. Mm-hmm. Can't enjoy Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Marvel uh, wanted a way to almost pay tribute to some of the writers. What are you laughing at? It's just, I love how serious <laughs> you take this shit, man. <laughs> it's like Rob's up. just pulling some R. Kelly, R. Kelly quote out. Oh, and it's like, right, Marvel. <laughs> I've had to reel off some essay about something. Come on, let's go. Uh, it is a bit of an essay. So uh, Marvel wanted a way of paying tribute to some of the writers and illustrators of the original Thor comics from the 60s and 70s. So what better way to pay tribute to those wonderful creative people than by giving them actual roles in the film itself? So at 33 minutes into the film, the first man to approach Mjolnir is a man called J. Michael Straczynski, and he's one of the original writers in the Thor comic books. 
Now, obviously, we've got Mr. Stan Lee there as well, as Rob pointed out for us. But also at the end of the film, at about the one hour, 40 minute mark, there's a banquet sequence after the battle has been won. And Lady Sif, Xena, or Xena, um, can be seen sitting next to and laughing with an old man. That man is called Walter Simonson. He is a comic book artist uh, and writer whose work on Thor around 40 years ago was highly renowned and acclaimed. So Marvel managed to get in contact with both of these guys and pay their respects to him by giving them roles in the film. That's nice. Mm. I like that. I mean, I like them both for different reasons. This is a tough <laughs> one for me. George's has a lot more work in <laughs> and Rob I like to see George. I like to have seen George find this quote. Like, who who knows that? I can guarantee yeah. any Tom Dick and Harry could go on IMDb facts and find out what Don, George I called you John George just said. <laughs> but they'd be hard George. pressed to find that whole quote. Ah, uh, see, I kind of want to know where you got them from, and that's what I'd judge it from. If you've just gone on IMDb and gone on trivia and grabbed these, then you may as well not even bother. So, Please tell me um, that's not the case. Do you think all that trivia and all that uh, was all from the same source? That was wrote firsthand by me, but I've pulled the trivia from various different places. Yes, of course. Okay. I'm not going to know see, it off I... the top of my head. No, no, no. I mean a bit more of a deep dive than just going on IMDb and then going to the trivia section. I found the R. Kelly of Asgard bit on IMDb, but then I went digging because I wanted to find the whole quote and I wanted to even prove if the trivia was right. And by... It is. By George, it is right. (laughs) What are you going to go with, Colin? This is a really You like music, don't you? It's Uh, got a music link. (laughs) No, I'm 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 going to go with with George on this Ooh. one because yeah it brings it back level again but they were both you were win close. this round O'Connor yeah two, two, two each right next you time you're worthy and <laughs> let's remember Rob you're, you're starting on next week's one no I am no you are oh yeah <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> we only did it five minutes ago Jesus. Next time, baby. Next time, baby. Uh, So that's another week. Uh, As always, it's been a pleasure, boys. Uh, So next week, we're back on Earth. But this time, we're going back in time a little bit as we head to 1942 to watch Captain America, the first Mm. Avenger. Rob, say bye. Bye. Colin, say bye. Bye Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. And as always, we are not done yet. We have our post-credit scenes for this episode. So, Selvig is taken to a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility where Nick Fury opens a briefcase and asks him to study a mysterious cube-shaped object, which Fury says may hold untold power. But an invisible Loki prompts Selvig to agree, and he does. So, Colin, it it would appear that Selvig is now under the control of Loki, and it would also seem that he might want to get hands on his mysterious cube. Rob, set that up for me. What? Next time, baby. 
Oh, next time, <laughs> baby. Um, so I won't pay attention. Apparently. I noticed. So uh, remember those contracts that I mentioned in our last episode that everyone, no matter what role you were in, had to sign a six or a nine picture contract. Mm. Now, yeah. We've you've kind of hinted at this as well. Marvel must have been counting their lucky stars because once this was released, the fans and the public went nuts for Loki. So on one hand, they were over the moon that the fans had really fallen for a character because at the end of the day, that means money. But the fans mm. had also, in fact, fallen for a villain. Uh, so the purpose of the villain is obviously to create someone that you want your audience to hate. So... Rob, is is this now a problem for Marvel, or do you? Or how do they? What do you think they should? I know because you know, kind of know how it goes. So yeah, I'd be asking <laughs> Colin this. Mm, so Colin, yeah, is, it, is this a problem for Marvel of having the fans love the villain? Well, <clears throat> if you're looking at it from a business point of view, one hundred percent no, mm. because like you said, it makes money, doesn't it? Um, and again. You know, if you just listen to what I've been saying for the whole episode, I I want to see more of Loki. I don't really care about seeing more of Thor. If I'm totally honest with you, I'd be quite happy if he doesn't pop back up again. I know he probably <laughs> will, and I'm sure he's he must be one of the Avengers, I guess. Um, which I find maybe, uh, which is is odd because I I feel like him being on Earth just didn't work. So, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do all of this shit with the Avengers getting them all together mm. and how they're all going to work, but that's for another time. But, so maybe um, him standing next to, for example, like Tony Stark, Iron Man, or whatever. Is that going to just be really weird? Is it going to work? Well, see, this this is the problem I've got, and this is the worry I've got, right? Because look, I'm going to be honest. I'm I'm watching these films now, and we're doing this, so I want to enjoy them. Like I don't want to watch these and have to come on here once a week and just kind of be like, mm. yeah, I didn't really like it, because then I come across like a miserable bastard. But I'm going to be honest either way. Um, but it is a little bit worrying because I really didn't like Thor in anywhere other than than you know where he was yeah. from so and i just hope that when they bring these characters together they don't go down that slapstick humor route because that's just not my thing mm-hmm. it's just not my style of humor yeah. and and i feel like if they do then yeah I'm, there might be a lot of me just going eh, i didn't really like it you know mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I'm, I'm very but, intrigued um, to know what you think of, you know, of the future films obviously but Loki, Loki, I thought he was great, and I actually, I, I I liked the post credit scene on this one. Mm. Um, it does long, it sets up more one, than what it? you know, yeah, yeah, and it is a bit longer, right? It seems a bit longer. It's the longest one to this point that we've seen, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a scene, whereas the rest are like, I suppose, like the the Iron Man one's very brief, but it is a scene. Mm. Iron Man two is obviously just the image of the hammer, so this one seems to be like plot more than anything yeah but it didn't really set like i had no idea that the next film in the series was going to be captain america because it didn't really set anything up mm. from it which it, you know it doesn't have to um but whereas like you know obviously the iron man 2 one was thor's hammer so i, I gathered pretty well quick maybe after thought, but... captain america if you go back and rewatch this post credit scene you'll be you might be surprised oh yeah i'll, I'll do that then. Mm. yeah so, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If you haven't left us a review yet, how about for this week we'll set you a little challenge. In your review, tell us your favourite Thor moment in the franchise, if he is ever to pop up again. It doesn't have to be just from this film, and we will obviously keep Colin far away 
from the reviews. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Colin, say goodbye again. Take it easy, everyone. Rob, say goodbye again. Take care, true believers. And again, thanks for joining us. Stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy.